and then show what you can do to kind of transform that history of pain and trauma into power. And how it is that we do this, not just on an individual level, but part of it comes from finding community and working with other people and seeing our collective strength. And we start to see that those pains from our childhood are not ours individually to bear. The problem is really in the culture and it's affected us as individuals. You are listening to Made of Human, also known as the Mopad, a podcast hosted by Sophie Hagen, who is a Danish comedian. Mopad. Trying to find out how to do life. this intro on January 31st, just 12 days after I chatted to Dr. Lindo Bacon. But despite it being only 12 days ago, it feels like months. January 2021 has truly been the longest month since this entire pandemic started. As some of the more devoted listeners will know, I live with complex PTSD, and I recently started recognizing a pattern that has been showing up throughout my entire life. I have days of heightened productivity followed by days of complete dissociation. One day I will work from 8am to midnight and the next day I can barely get out of bed, except to take care of Hank, my dog. A month ago I was super productive. I was booking guests for the podcast, I was conducting interviews and taking all the meetings I could And at the moment, I am in my bathrobe. My head is heavy. This is the first time I talk out loud in three days. And my kitchen is a mess. The day I spoke to Lindo Bacon was the first day after a long, wonderful time of productivity that I started to dissociate. It's been 12 days now. I'm saying this not to get sympathy or advice. God, no. I have two very capable therapists and I'm better than I ever have been before, I promise. I'm just saying it to convey two points. One, it's just on my mind a lot these days because I'm feeling increasingly guilty about the many emails that are piling up alongside dishes and laundry and friends I haven't replied to, showers I haven't taken. And saying these things out loud sometimes helps. Maybe you, listening to this, will sigh and say, Oh, God, me too. And that's what I like for this podcast to do, to make you feel less alone with your weirdnesses. The second point is, this chat with Dr. Lindo Bacon happened when it was morning in the US and evening here in the UK. I had barely been able to get out of bed for the Zoom call. I was dehydrated, I was nervous, both because my head was messy, but also because... It's Lindo Bacon. Dr. Lindo Bacon is a nutritionist, researcher, and author. They're behind the most popular book about the movement Health at Every Size, a book that has been endlessly quoted by most people that discuss fat activism. It's a book about the concept of fat not necessarily being unhealthy. It's essential reading. Bacon recently released a new book called Radical Belonging, How to Survive and Thrive in an Unjust World While Transforming It for the Better, which is also essential reading. Talking to Lindo about gender filled me with gender euphoria. And there were times during our conversation where I almost started crying. I'm very excited for you to listen to it. This has been a long intro, so I will let you get right to it. But first, I just quickly want to flag up that on Saturday, the 6th of February, uh, 2021, I am doing the TEDx London Women After Show. It's going to be so much fun. Now, I've seen all the speakers and rehearsals, and I can honestly say you have to watch the whole thing. It's so, it's going to be so good. It's online, of course. So that means you can watch it from anywhere. And there's at least three previous Mopad guests that are doing talks. And, oh, I'm beaming with pride. So go look up 
TEDx London women and join me for the after show because I cannot wait. But first, now I will let you listen to my conversation with Lindo Bacon. It is morning time here in the United States, and I know it's what late afternoon by you. Is Six p.m. Yeah. Yes. Um, so we're in a very different space, but my biorhythms, you know, like give me energy right now, and this the morning is when I thrive, and. I'm, I have been so, so excited to talk to you, Sophie. I, I mean, it's weird, like me being a public figure. I know what it's like where people approach me and they feel like they know me, right? And like I'm their friend. And um, because I'm somewhat vulnerable out there in the world and, you know, so there's, there is opportunity to see me, but it's a one-way intimacy, you know, like I don't know them. But yet, anyway. I am feeling like there's this weird thing where you and I both know one another um, and we have this profound like meeting and yet we've never met. We've never like talked before, but yet um, you are my friend, Sophie. And I'm so excited for just the opportunity to just be here with you and experience that. And I'm also intimidated by, as hell. Like, um, <laughs> you're funny, right? And I feel this pressure. <laughs> I'll try. But, you know, it's just, it doesn't come so naturally to me. But anyway. You really don't have to have be good... funny. But I have, <laughs> this, I have the same thing with you. I think when if, if someone who wasn't part of the, you know, fat liberation circuit, if they mentioned you, I just automatically say, oh, yeah, they're a friend of mine. And then go, oh, wait. Oh, no. Well, not really. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm. I'm glad that you experienced that same thing. So, um, yeah, I'll um, I'll let go of the intimidation and just try to be me here. Um, so, me be me. So, um, anyway, you asked me like, what's going on for me? And here we are in the. We're recording this in the midst of the pandemic, right? It's January. Huge things happening in the United States, you know. Tomorrow is inauguration day, and so finally, finally, Trump gets out of office. So it's interesting. I don't know that I'm necessarily celebrating the new leadership so much as just totally celebrating that this man just does not have the will not have the power to do damage that he's had. So it's, it's a big time and it's hard to focus on anything else because it's been hard to be in the States. And um, anyway, that's big, but this pandemic has been really hard on me and I just don't think I have weathered it so well. I, I need people more. And I like, I just, I so just want to be in a crowded restaurant. Like, I don't care that they're strangers, but I need people around me. Um, and this, like, this has just been so hard. I mean, it's not just about not having that personal connection with friends, because honestly, most of my friends are long distance and I'm used to connecting to them via the internet. But there's something about this time that has just been so hard on me. And particularly because a couple months ago, I was riding my bike and I fell off of it. Oh, no. Now, like there were no cars involved. It was just me toppling over. Um, and so it's embarrassing. But, um, well, there were cars involved. I stopped suddenly because a car ran a stop sign. And um, my foot got caught in the toe clips. Ooh. And so I couldn't get my foot out. And so I just fell with the bike. Anyway, um, the result was that my arm was just hanging there limply. And like I knew it was dislocated at the shoulder. And, you know, I could see the angle that my hand was that there was something really, really wrong here. And in fact, it was badly damaged. And um, now I've got a prosthetic joint in there and it's slowly healing. 
but it'll never be back to normal. And it is just really hard to lose um, control of your dominant arm. Um, and I don't know my level of permanent disability. So it gets me down and it's just been um, like, I can't type and that's who I am is a writer. Right. And yeah. yeah, I've been learning dictation, but I've, that's not how my mind works. Like I can't get things onto the computer in the same way that I used to be able to. And so I feel like I've kind of like lost my power. Um, because writing is like, it's not just that I write books, but I, I write myself. I write journals. I, you know, it's, it's my way of being in the world. And um, I just feel like I'm, I've been in this funk for way too long, but, um, and the, it's also made me rethink how I want to be in the world. I mean, I'm supposed to be on speaking tour right now. I had, I had like over 50 speaking gigs planned that have all been canceled because of this. And, um, you know, my style doesn't translate to um, doing webinars. Uh, like I need an audience in front of me. Like I'm, I'm, I'm a performer and I need, people to react off of or to connect with so um i'm not doing any webinars and you know i effectively just canceled everything and um i feel like there's something about that being at home for so long where i'm now scared of people and i don't know that i want to just do my speaking tour when you know we most of us are vaccinated and it's safer to be out in the world like there's this safety i have felt in avoiding people and performing um that is almost like it's damaging to me like i feel like i'm scared now of just being out in the world and i just want to be home and I cannot believe like this feels wrong too to be publicly saying this um I feel like it's unfortunate that I'm seeing you because I, I um I'm lightening up a little bit like I'd rather project to the world this more like confident I, I, I want to be out there in the world kind of thing. I'm, I'm weathering things well. And I didn't do that just now. And that, that feels awkward. So I think I just want to shut up for a bit and um, hear you talk. Get me out of this place, <laughs> this hole I just went down to. No, Save I, me from myself. I'm very, very grateful that you're willing to be you know, actually open and yourself. And I feel like you more than most people are all about this, you know, being open and honest, but also being willing to call yourself out in public and uh, change in public. Am I, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I do. And I'm supposed to keep talking right now. And <laughs> Um, and I, I'm feeling a little scared of what might come out of my um, mouth next. But yeah, um, it's true. Like as much as I don't want to do that, I also just recognize that I also want to model for people that it's okay to feel crappy sometimes, you know, and it's okay to retreat. Um, and to be scared um, because I also know my strength, right? I also know that I'll get out of this funk and I'm not there every day. You know, I have, I have my moments where I'm out of it and I will come out of it more consistently because that's who I am. Right. And I'm fine. I, I do know that I am, in a process of refinding my ground. And I guess it just has to be different in 
these COVID times, right? And I have to just accept that um, this is hard, right? And I haven't adapted yet and accepted that. And I need to. Um, that there's a new normal right now. And that's okay. Um, it's a temporary normal. Hopefully. Yeah, you know. But <laughs> yeah. like there is so much upheaval in the world. Like it's not just COVID, but I'm really focused these days on how unjust the world is. Like in, in almost every country, why can't we be kinder to people and um, take care of people better? Like it just saddens me to see what's erupting all over the world. And in the United States right now, it's a really profound time. It's not that things have gotten harder right now, but every but our pain is on the surface right now. That's a huge difference for us. Like we're finally, as a country, seeing the injustice that's here, and um, it's painful. And and it's also exciting that it's finally being named because it presents us with opportunity. And I'm not sure I have confidence though that we're going to take advantage of this opportunity, you know. But the potential is there. But anyway, I'm. I guess I kind of went into that space because. Um, there is just such profound uncertainty that's happening both in my life personally and that mirrors what's going on in the world. And, uh, you know, right now I suppose I'm focused on just disappointment and sadness and fear. And I think in my life personally, there is tremendous opportunity and excitement, but I don't, I'm not feeling that in all these other aspects of the world. And I'm feeling like a little bit lost because I feel some responsibility, you know, with all of the privilege that there's something that I should be doing that, that's greater than I've found yet to make my mark on this world that where it needs everybody to step up to the plate you do a lot of a lot of the work you do is so I don't know if it's the right word but trauma informed um right. and so much of your your work has to do with body and obviously body is so connected to trauma and to well feelings in general do you find yourself being able to reach down into a, a toolbox and f find tools to make things better for yourself or to deal with this. Because what I, what I hear from you is a lot of nuance where it sounds like you can both hold or you can both feel sometimes the positivity or the hope, but you can also feel the despair. And I, it's, it's rare that I speak to someone where I've, where I, get two feelings at the same time that people would think was contradictory to each other. So is that a, a skill you've learned? Do you have tools to, to deal with all of this? Um, definitely. Yes. This is the stuff that I study and this is something that I put into my latest book, radical belonging. Um, yeah. In my book, Radical Belonging, it's it was a very interesting process of writing the book, and I'll, which will eventually answer your question. Um, but give me a little time till I get to the the end point. Um, when I first wrote the book, it was a journal, and it was a journal of kind of my history of unbelonging. It was looking at my gender identity and how I never got seen and valued for it. And how I was taught to taught to feel shame about who I was and to project an image that is very different than who I was to feel safe in the world. That's traumatizing, right? If every time my true self shows, I get shamed for it. 
like, you know, I'll give you an example. Um, I remember when I was 13 years old and um, I was preparing for my bat mitzvah, which for uh, which is a Jewish girl's coming of age. Um, it's a ritual. And um, my mother and father and brother were out of the house because they were shopping for suits for my father and brother. And so I was alone and I knew that my mother was going to come home in a few hours and then she was going to take me out shopping for the dress that she wanted me to wear. And in those few hours, I I um, sneaked into my brother's room and I put on this suit that he had worn to his bar mitzvah because I was just like, I just wanted to fantasize for a little while of what would happen if I were me at this coming of age ritual. And I really coveted that suit. And so I put it on and, you know, there I am looking at myself in the mirror and I'm adjusting the tie. I had like looked in books to learn how to tie a tie before. Um, and I was really proud of myself. And um, anyway, my family came home sooner than expected. And my mom walks into the room and she busts to me and she is just aghast. And um, you know, and she lectured me that I was to be a woman, you know, and in, in just a few months and no more dressing up like boys and, and, you know, and she ushers me into my room. So my brother and father won't see me because she's just so ashamed and doesn't want anyone to see me and forces me to put on other clothes you know, so I get the lesson. This is just one example at an early age that if I were to show myself, uh, you know, it's a horrible thing. <laughs> and the only way to survive in that family is to to learn girl and to project girl. So anyway, these are the stories I'm writing at first. But then I look back on the stories and I realize like, these are only stories of my pain, and that's not who I am. Like, I have developed tremendous resilience, and now my gender identity is is a source of pride, you know? I love it. It's my difference in the world. There's, there's some kind of magical quality that I know I have because of my gender identity that in some way allows me to see the world very differently than other people. And I can translate, um, like, there's, there's this androgynous quality that allows me to kind of project the best of both genders, I think, or that just gives me insight into the world. And it's what my partner loves in me, that my friends adore me for those qualities. So it's changed. And... Um, I no longer have, I now have the confidence to just be me in the world and to see that as valuable. And also I have that trauma that's been built into my body from childhood that gives me a certain hypervigilance in the world and anxiety that I've learned how to tame. And um, to what, you know, when I see that hypervigilance, I can use it as power, right? That of course I'm scared in the world and taught to anticipate bad things. And so I can see them and I can now use my superpowers to also recognize the transformative ability in the moment. So, yeah. Like trauma has lodged in me. And now when I see the, the qualities it's caused me to develop, I can use them. And I think there's been a lot of value in having that past. Like one thing is it gives me... Um, a lot of empathy for others and an ability to 
kind of relate to what's going on for others. And I think that's why, as a rather slender person, I've been allowed into the fat acceptance world. Um, that, um, you know, like I, I have that ability to just kind of be with people. And that's why I was able to go back to the book and then show what you could do to kind of transform that history of pain and trauma into power. And how it is that we do this, not just on an individual level, but part of it comes from finding community and working with other people and seeing our collective strength. And we start to see that those pains from our childhood are not ours individually to bear. They're the, cult. the problem is really in the culture and it's affected us as individuals. And it takes bonding with other people and around the unfairness and injustice that helps us to feel grounded in the world and recognize that the problem isn't ours to bear. And, you know, then we develop allegiances like, you know, like I develop with you over that recognition. And it's in building community and finding like that love and support that we simultaneously change ourselves and have an impact on the world. So I think I just, in some, like, I came to that ending where maybe I finally answered your question. Did I? Yes, but you also unlocked this memory that I, I just hadn't thought of this for so many years, which was every single time I would, you know, dress up as a boy for, you know, school plays or for whatever reason. I remember, and I don't think I ever said it out loud in my head, but I remember feeling, wow, I can't believe some people are so lucky they get to do this every day. And also, oh, it's such a shame that this is just like once in a, you know, a one-time thing that I am allowed to, and it's, it wasn't even that my, you know, my mother always wore and still wears um, traditionally like men's clothing. She buys it from the men's department. So she's never talked to me, you know, about, you know, she's never said anything about me being a woman or anything, but I still knew that this was not what I was going to be wearing. Like this wasn't what I should be wearing, but just you saying that I thought, Oh, I just, I remember now, that feeling of, oh, it's a shame this is just me dressing up and that this isn't every day. And I think I still sometimes feel like that, even though I feel, I think I'm, I think my, now I'm launching into this, like, oh, wait, <laughs> am I not wearing what I want to wear? <laughs> this is becoming like a bigger therapy moment for me. But yeah, I just think you you just nail that so well. So at the time, did you know what, Did you know who you were? Did you know that it was a gender thing or was it a feeling? Did you have the words for it? I did not. I mean, on the one hand, I want to say that I knew my gender identity because my gender identity has definitely been static since birth. Like I have always been this gender queer person, even if I had to present differently. But I didn't have words or language for it back then. and. I didn't know you could do this, right? I always thought that there was something wrong with me that um, I had this different gender identity. Um, like I, I didn't see any trans people when I was growing up. I didn't know it as a possibility. So it's been very freeing to me as I got older and I found a much more expansive world And I needed to see other people that um, I needed representation in the world um, to find myself. 
And eventually I did, but it took a long time. And and I would suggest too that it I you know, this is something that I think is really controversial, but I want to say it out loud right now. The feminist movement and the body positive movement actually um, slowed me down for a while. Um, you know, there were like there were like this whole idea of um, um, love your body as it is. Man, that one that just never worked for me. Or in feminism, you know, the whole idea of um, that. Women have to, um, like, uh, I can't quite find the language for it. I, yeah, but, I, I, fe- I feel like I know it. Is it, is it, I'm not going to assume that I know, but I, what I can relate to after I realized that I was non-binary or genderqueer, whatever the word would be, is all the language around... Um, the focus on women instead of the focus on we just don't want the patriarchy. I 1000% understand the importance of that. And I love women and I back women and all of those things, but there was that's, it's never felt like it was for me, even though I, I, even though I, I thought they would, they thought it was, if that makes sense. Right. Is that sort of the same Thing. Yeah. And and I want to acknowledge that feminism has changed. You know, mm. we're in a different wave right now. And now there's much more of an intersectional awareness. And um, I'm, I'm with it 100% these days. But when I was younger, um, it was more like this whole idea of that I had to accept that I was a woman. And um, in and that you could express women in many different ways, right? So that boyishness that that I exuded was okay, but it was still woman. And so basically all it was doing was just expanding the category of woman to encompass everyone. And it didn't let us out of that category of woman, which is what I needed, right? And the same thing in the body positive movement. like I looked down at this body and this body did not represent who I was. And um, so what I did with body positivity was I had to, in some ways, separate from my body. I had to look at it and say, yes, this is a beautiful body. It's just not me. That That's what I did. And it took until late adulthood, I mean, fairly recently, where I realized that I didn't have to be constrained by all of this, that, um, you know, that those breasts, for example, that didn't represent me, I didn't need them. (laughs) And I could change the body. And that was still an expression of loving my body. And sorry, oh, is that connected to how we in the fat liberation body positivity movement talk a lot about you know you wait when we talk about weight loss it's a lot of you know you shouldn't have to you shouldn't want to lose weight you shouldn't need to lose weight which is essentially you shouldn't change your body is that the same um rhetoric that i i don't think so i think it's actually very i think it's very very different rhetoric because I think that what I'm what I'm trying to do is to claim my gender identity and what weight loss is is it's trying to um, adapt to cultural ideas of who you're supposed to be which I think is a very different process it's completely different it's just very I think it's important to um well, okay, so this this leads me to basically the the entire concept of nuance because what the older feminism with you know men and women, women good, <laughs> you know, <laughs> the simplistic non intersectional feminism, what it did do really well was be super simple, you know, by only including 
like the gender aspect and nothing else, but only two genders, because that's not make it too complicated. It made it very easy for most people to get on board with, even if they didn't believe in it, they understood it. Where I find now, whilst it's the right thing we're doing now with intersectional feminism, and it, I guess what I'm asking is how do we, how do we, there's so many people who still don't get even the most basic things. How do we make it accessible for these people when it encompasses so many layers of intersectionality? Or do we even need to make it simplistic for them? Do we need them on our side? I think part of it is, it is very simple because all we're asking is that people drop their stereotypes and ideas and be open to seeing the person in the room with them, asking questions rather than imposing stuff, you know? So you can't look at somebody and know their, their gender, right? I mean, anything, if, sure, maybe their gender presentation can give you some ideas, but, for all we know, that person might be very fluid and their gender presentation might look very different the next day. So it's not a full expression of who they are, right? So I think that's what we have to do is we have to create a safe space for people to be who they are so that we can see them. And, um, that's the challenge. Did you have a moment where you became aware of the that now the language existed? Did you hear <clears throat> did you hear the word non-binary? Did you hear the word genderqueer and think? Was there a moment when you thought, oh, oh, that's what this is? Um well, maybe. I'm not sure exactly when I first started to hear those terms, but I did have one profound experience where um, I had an ex-lover who, um, so this means it's long ago because I've been with my current partner almost 30 years, right? So we're talking before that. Um, Someone who was very significant in my life, we had a five-year relationship. And it was a, a woman who was very butch. At least that was like my impression. And it years in recent years, more recent years, I tried to get in touch with her and found out that um, she was actually trans and okay, not she anymore, right? Um, that he um, was trans and um, had had like um full surgery um to assert their maleness and um and I had a short conversation with him and then unfortunately he died shortly after but the thing that just blew me away was as soon as I heard that he was trans like of course it made sense that this person was a man. And I cannot believe that I spent five years with them thinking of them as a woman because they weren't, right? Even when we were together, I had all of the clues, but neither of us had the vision at the time to see him for who he is. And so anyway... As soon as I heard that he he was trans and emanating in the world that way, it made so much sense. And then it opened up the world for me to recognize that um, I hadn't been really seeing the world and the possibilities. And it was at that it was that that suddenly freed me to see my transness as well. And um, it kind of blew me away that it was so in front of me for so long and I didn't see it. What was the process then like from 
when you started having the feelings, when you started putting words onto it, till that became something you wanted to say out loud in public? Ah, that was hard. Um, Because I'll tell you that one of the first things it did was it made me feel even worse about my body. Because suddenly I realized that those breasts were optional, right? And that there were other possibilities. And so, and right away, I realized that I didn't want them anymore, that they, they just didn't represent me. And so from then on, I started to bind my breasts to just kind of get that feeling. And um, it felt so right to me to have that flat chest. And I knew I had to get the surgery to to feel comfortable in the world. Like, and I, I felt so suddenly I was feeling shame for my breasts. Um, and I had to very quickly get the surgery, but in, in my mind. Um, but unfortunately it took a long time to get the appointment. There was a long waiting list. If I wanted to go with a doctor that I really trusted and had experience and anyway, but eventually I was able to get the surgery and um, immediately after the surgery, it just felt so right. Like I could look down at my body and this body felt like me and it was pretty much an amazing experience. And so immediately I was able to just kind of proudly walk out in the world and um you know, I wanted to wear tight shirts so that everybody knew and could see this new me. It's just, it's just, I just like hearing you talk about it. <laughs> it's just so lovely. But, well, not but. Um, so when you wrote um, Health at Every Size, so what I, I, what I, what I know about that experience is that you've then later quite openly spoken about the things that you felt like you got wrong. And then you co-wrote was body, Res- body respect. That was the name of it. Right. Right. Which, um, which you've then said was a, like a lot more al- aligned with your values and, you know, because you've learned. And so, so I feel like you've already, before this happened, you know what it's like to come out and be public about, something like my, my fear when I started talking about being non-binary was I was afraid that people were going to go back through my Instagram or my posts or my shows or whatever and see the word woman and then think that I'd been lying about that the whole time. Like, but you, Oh, but you said in that sentence that you were a woman. So, but now you're saying you're not. So what is it? And do you feel, did you feel like that was an experience that the, the sort of having to publicly change what you'd said? Um, was that an experience that you could use when you then sort of came out in public? Um, I am so relieved to just be out in public, but I also want to say that it's not like I'm coming out as different. Like I didn't transition. I was always, um, Lindo, right? Um, but the world didn't see me that way. And what's different now is I am asserting who I am and demanding that people see me as I see myself. Um, and like the culture kind of sets us up to like, there are all these markers that everybody's seen me as a woman and um like that's their bad right for people just absorbing it and having that expectation of me but now i'm saying to them no like i don't want to give you that opportunity anymore and it's been really wonderful beautiful there's really been no difficulty about it and I I feel so much more connected to people like I remember it used to be when I would go out on my public speaking gigs 
like I always would have like a lot of cis women that really like loved my work and they would be the sponsors of my talk. And I would go out with them for dinners and like there was this level of girl talk that I could never quite relate to. And I always felt so awkward being out with these women. And it's because they assumed I was one of them. Right. But it's very different now when I like before the pandemic, when I was going out with these groups, because like they saw me differently. And so it was the same um, kind of, um, I mean, I hate to characterize all cis women, cis straight women as the same. They're not, obviously. But it was that same kind of girl energy that they were projecting, but they saw me differently. And there was a way of inviting me in as a non-binary person that's different. And I do feel that I'm so much more comfortable socially now because people are seeing me and inviting me in more. And it's been a really beautiful experience. I had never, sorry, go on. I'm, I'm just, I'm taking it all in. Keep talking. <laughs> I think the name change has been really quite powerful because um, people know that it's an assertion of gender. I think a lot of people know that the difference between the A ending and the O ending in a lot of languages. So people can make guesses about why I changed my name, even if, um, they haven't hold, heard the whole story. But, but you know, just to sum it up for people, the name Linda means beautiful. And the A at the end is a feminine ending. This is in the languages Spanish and Portuguese. And that was the name that I was given. And it never felt like me. I mean, in part because I never related to beautiful. And... Um, I was aware of the femininity and also because that's why my parents chose the name for me, that they wanted to me to be that beautiful daughter and to make my mark in the world. In They, they, they knew that beauty gives women power in the world. And that's what they wanted for me to be loved and accepted and appreciated. And that was how they knew it happened. Right. So you can imagine that all my life, I have never identified with that name. It always felt so alien. And when a stranger that I was actually just getting to know, a really beautiful man, like he, he had um, Portuguese roots. And um, after being with me for hours, he finally had this aha moment. And he just looks at me and he says, I understand now you're Lindo and he was masculinizing the, the word. And he also said in his culture, when you masculinize the word, you're, you're changing it. Um, Linda refers more to physical beauty, whereas Lindo refers more to a beautiful essence. And anyway, as he said that, and it, suddenly like felt like home to me like I got it and it felt like it was a way of reclaiming the name that my parents gave me I mean what they really wanted for me in the world was to be loved and accepted but they thought that it only came through um beauty or I mean not that my parents were that shallow but um they just saw things I mean that certainly they want to, they're proud of my accomplishments etc i don't want to take all that other stuff away um but um anyway the word as soon as he said it it just felt like oh yeah that's me and so i legally changed my name and i think that that's been a really powerful assertion to the world uh, like another one of those steps that says um, please see me as I am. And uh, it, it's made it easier to uh, project myself. 
I just want to just take a little breather for all the, I'm going to guess somewhere between 30 and 50 people who are currently listening, realizing they're non-binary. <laughs> There's always yeah, at least I one. Think, I, think it's, I think it's wonderful. The more that we speak out, the more that we give other people permission to take on the term, you know, and, and um, yeah, because there are a lot of us that, for whom those binary categories don't work, which, and there are also a lot of people that fit perfectly into their binary categories. And, you know, let's celebrate that too, but let's just give people permission to find their space in the world. So how does it, how do you see it fitting into body positivity and fat activism in terms of how we've been talking about it up until quite recently well first off isn't it interesting to see how body positivity and fat activism has pretty much been a woman's domain like mm. you don't see many men that are proclaiming it um and um so i find that that interesting and i think that that's because historically beauty was just a, a, something that women were forced to either to to be or were punished if they couldn't. So it makes sense that it's been predominantly a woman's movement. And now we're starting to recognize that um, like uh, it's body stuff is hard for men too. And so Hopefully, the movement is going to become more expansive to just recognize that we that everybody's having trouble kind of owning their bodies. And it's not just a fat, thin thing. Um, you start to bring in the whole intersectional awareness and you recognize that there's also um, a lot of racism that's involved in how looking at how bodies are supposed to be that um, you know black bodies are seen as less attractive so the body positivity movement needs to expand to include that much broader awareness you know to include disabled bodies and it, it's not just gender that's been problematic and in the body positivity movement and the fat acceptance movement. But I should also say that those critiques are happening now. I'm, you know, you and I are not the first people to be talking about it. And so I think there's a huge difference between mainstream body positivity and then what's happening in the more radical body body liberation movement, you know, I think it takes on a different term. Um, and that movement is very intersectional and is, um, you know, it's not just looking at cis white women who are not so fat. Before I ask you to pluck all your stuff, uh, especially your new book. I want you to tell us all about it. I just want to ask you sort of the last like question question, which is how are you feeling now? You started out saying that you were intimidated. Have you now eased into it and realized that I don't know what I'm saying and I don't even properly speak English and that you're fine? Or <laughs> how are you feeling now? I did relax into this and I feel like I was me in this interview. And um, I also like, there's a part of me that just wasn't as smooth and on as I have been in other podcasts. And maybe that's a good thing, right? Like, um, that we, that different aspects of me come out all the time. And what came out with you is just more vulnerable in the moment kind of thing. And I'm not sure I ever answered your questions because <laughs> they sparked different ideas for me, you know, and I started, I 
I just went off on tangents sometimes. Um, I would like to eventually get back to that question about the evolution of the books. I think that's interesting. But anyway, that didn't happen now. And um, no, I, um, I'm I'm here. <laughs> that's all. I mean, I approximately 15 minutes after we've ended this, I'm going to ask you to do it again at some point. So <laughs> because yeah. we have so much more to talk about. Um, Excellent. Because this, I mean, I, I have no words because I just need to process all of this just personally, privately about my own gender. <laughs> There's so much that I'm just feeling and thinking right now that I don't even have words for. Um, so I'm super grateful for everything that you've said. This has been, yeah, moving and incredibly good. So thank you. Um, plug your things. What? Tell me about the new book and why we should all go out and buy it. Yeah, you know, that's that's an awkward question because I really so don't want to be commercial, you know. I, I mean, I, I love that reputation that I at least used to have as a scientist, right? Um, and anyway, but um, I'm so super excited about the new book that I released a couple of months ago. It's called, do you have it in front of you? Do you have the title? Because I always no, mess up on the title. No, I have it. It's a electronic, the one I have. So. Ah, okay. Then um, I'll, sh I'll try the title. Um, well, the main title is Radical Belonging. It's the subtitle that gets to me. How to Survive and Thrive in an Unjust World While Transforming It for the Better. There we go. Yeah, and... Um, I guess I talked about the book already, but really, I I hope this book helps people find community and just recognize how important it is that we we find love and belonging. And I hope the book is a toolkit to doing that. You know, to dipping into any trauma that you might have experienced and coming out of that. Um, stronger and you know also also just recognizing that um, sometimes you fall apart too <laughs> that's part of the process and that's okay um, I don't want to just emphasize the strength part of it I want to just give us like help us to just be human and appreciate that um, instead of just getting down about all the things that make us human, because it's hard to be a human sometimes. And yet um, we need to embrace that. And that's what I hope to give people in the book, Radical Belonging. And I'm also kind of psyched because it feels like it's reaching people across our differences. You know, like the book has a uh, forward by Ijoma Alua, who is yeah. um, a, a black activist who's written some marvelous books. One, So You Want to Talk About Race, another called Mediocre, which is about, um, about male, men and male privilege. So, um, but anyway, you know, what she said in that introduction was that she was able to see a part of herself in every chapter. And she and I have such different um, social identities in the world. And I love that that happened for her. And that's the feedback that I'm getting from people as they read it. You know, like people who are disabled, they saw examples that they really related to in the book. And they saw the kind of wholeness of how we all come together with all of these marginalized identities. And at the same time, even though I tried to center marginalized identities, hey, I've got so many privileged identities. And really, you know, that's that's what's more major in my life, you know, that I've had so much privilege. And I was able to also write in those stories and, um, you know, how they help, how they gave me how they separated me from how not seeing my privilege separated me from people. And it didn't allow me into the richness that the world really offers. 
So I think that I really, I did what I set out for, you know, according to the feedback that this is a book that's really about belonging, about how we do it. So I'm thrilled. I'm in the the heady stage right now where I'm getting all of those beautiful reviews. And I know at some point it's going to crash, right? And some negative stuff is going to come in, but that hasn't happened yet. And um, it's very exciting to just see the impact, early impact that the book has had. Um, And so that's what my life is about right now is just kind of, um, being in that limelight and doing some writing about what inspires me and what I also find hard in the world. So I don't know what that writing is going to lead me to, whether there's a fourth book that's in process right now, or whether it's just ramblings that are important to me, but that's what I do with my days is I just write right now. And I'm also pleased that I'm getting a lot of speaking requests. Everybody seems optimistic that at some point we're going to be back to big crowds. And at this point, I'm just kind of, I'm saying no to everything as I retool and rethink my future. But, you know, who knows? I expect that I will probably come back to, um, I, I mean, I love, I love creating a sense of belonging. So, um, maybe that's where I'm coming back to, but right now I'm really enjoying just collecting the names of people and groups that want me to speak. Um, because at some point I probably will very much need that and look forward to that. I mean, if, if your thing is trying to create a space of a sense of belonging, then I mean, you're a professional. So this is, this, this whole conversation has just felt like, I was cradled in your arms and <laughs> I felt all safe and understood. Oh, how sweet. Thank you. It's been a joy to be with you. I agree. Same, same. It was wonderful. Thank you so, so much. Sure. Yeah. I'm, I'm thrilled. Yeah. Anything else you want to say before we cut? Well, well, maybe I should mention that, I've also spent months and months working on creating a community where we can all come together to talk in many different ways and read books together and watch movies together and watch webinars together. And what a beautiful thing it would be, right? If we had this community of people to kind of go out and see the world with together. So, um, but it's not ready yet for, um, people but if that might interest you there's a place where you can go to my website and sign up for um, to get an alert when I actually do open that and that'll be a lot of fun I think that sounds incredible thank you so much for creating that yeah it's um, a little well <laughs> it's I gotta say it's been created and waiting and I don't know why I don't just hit that open button, but um I will eventually. You will. Otherwise I think my listeners are gonna inundate <laughs> you with tweets begging you to <laughs> to push yeah, the button. Well, well, I just wanna encourage people to sign up for the alert and that'll give me a little bit more confidence that there's gonna be a lot of people that wanna come join us. They'll definitely do that. We will definitely do that. All right. Thank you so much. Thanks. If you're anything like me, you will need a few moments to gather yourself after that conversation. Uh, I know I needed to go lie down and, uh, yeah, have a think. One of the things I think I realized during this conversation is if I am ever to change my name, uh, I think I know what it is, which I feel like is quite a big realization to have (laughs) just based on a one-hour conversation thank you so much to lindo for doing this podcast and thank you to you for listening you can get special behind the scenes recordings on patreon head there now and sign up to get discount codes and my two stand-up shows for free 
Also join in order to support the podcast and help contribute to the transcripts, the editing, the equipment, software, domains, all the hours that go into this, and of course to keep it ad-free. Go to mopod.com forward slash donate. That's M-O-H-P-O-D dot com forward slash donate. If you like this episode and felt like it has gave you something, like, share, retweet, give it a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, tell a friend, and of course, make sure that you go and say a huge thank you to Lindo Bacon for being part of this podcast. And a special thanks to the following Patreon heroes. Amy Melody, Anastasia Graff, Andrea Carbo-Rock, and Andy Walker, Anna-Marie Hepburn, Barry Norton, Beth Payton, Cherry Winter, Claire Fletcher, Daniel Reifersheet, Deborah Cody say, Dieter Brandberg, Jensen, Emma Chan, Fenella Don Privacy, Soros, Aurora, Teratops, Galway Cass, Georgia, Harold Van Dyke, Harry Minard, Mino, <laughs> Helen Jarena, Isabel Johnston, Josie, Catherine Williams, Katie Hatfield, Katrina Pilsen, Kirsten E., Kirsten Davidson, Lindsay Boschniak, Madeline Linnell, welcome Madeline, Maeve Houlihan, Maury Fraser, Megan Roberts, Paul Swaddle, Pierre Fenne, Rachel Furley, Ragdoll, Rianne River, Rivers, Robin Kapper, Samantha Kitson, Sarah Ellett, Sarah Plumer, Sheena Machette Cole, Simon James, Victoria Greer, and Victoria Layton, and Zoe Stephenson. If you also want your name shouted out at the end of the episode, and for me to wildly mispronounce it, probably, go join Patreon and check out how. That is mopod.com forward slash donate, M-O-H-P-O-D dot com forward slash donate. Can you hear Hank the dog snoring in the background? <laughs> I know I can. Hi. Let's go to bed. Yeah, let's go to bed. I think we're going to go to bed now. I want to give a massive thank you to Dave Pickering for editing this episode, to Harriet Brain for writing and recording the jingle, and to Justine McNichol for the logo, and of course, to Lindo Bacon for doing the podcast. I will speak to you next Wednesday. Bye. Mopar.